This podcast is brought to you by Connect First Credit Union. We're here again to talk about what's next, Alberta. And, you know, there's a lot going on. And sometimes the headlines are great. Sometimes they're less great. And certainly in the energy industry right now, we're feeling the pressure that that industry is under. We're hearing about more job losses and things like that. And it's pretty hard not sometimes to get feeling like, you know, is there a bright future? Is there going to be a future for this province? And so on. And of course there is. In fact, it's why we have this show. We're talking about all the exciting things that are happening in the decade ahead. And there are some truly exciting things to look forward to. And we have a very special guest I'm going to introduce you to in a few moments. He's going to talk a little bit about something perhaps completely unexpected happening right here in Calgary, a business that is starting to make waves in a very unique way in our city. But uh, I did want to just share a couple thoughts, starting with a story Now, I don't know if you remember where you were when Steve Jobs passed away several years ago, but I can tell you I remember. And I was at a great uh, local restaurant called Phoenix Grill with my family. Steve Jobs had passed away, and I'd mentioned that to my uh, wife, and my youngest daughter had started crying, and she started bawling. And she didn't really know who Steve Jobs was, but she knew enough about him to know he was the Apple guy. And her comments were, who's going to create the jobs and who's going to create the future now that Steve Jobs has died. And she was only like 10 years old at the time, give or take. And, you know, and it's funny how we focus so much energy on these big stories and these almost celebrity business leaders that change the world and so on. But the truth is there's untold stories like that happening every day in Calgary, in Alberta, our province, our country, and these stories don't get told. So one of the things we want to do here at uh, What's Next Alberta is we want to talk a little bit more about those stories and we want to bring some of those entrepreneurs and profile them and get that story out to you so you can hear about some of the exciting things that are truly happening here because they are we're just not telling the stories loud enough yet and we want to play our part in changing that frankly thousands of entrepreneurs are stepping up and they're taking the steps we need to build a great future for our youth for the next generation of albertans who will continue to do great things here And there's a lot to look forward to. And that brings me to introducing you to our special guest, Paul Schumlich, founder and CEO of Deepwater Farms. Paul, welcome to What's Next, Alberta. Thank you for having me here. Pleasure to have you. And it's always an honor to meet someone like yourself who has not just talked about what the world should do, what others should do. You're doing it yourself. You're leading by example. You've stepped into a whole new industry. Please tell us a little bit about yourself and the business you're leading. So the company was Deepwater Farms, and we founded it probably about five to six years ago. But I like to say we've only really been a business for like two to maybe three years. So Deepwater Farms, we use hydroponics and aquaculture. And so we raise fish and we grow edible leafy greens, things like baby kale, baby arugula. But we do it all indoors and we do it year round. And so we use vertical farming technology where the plants are growing under LED lighting that kind of mimic the sun or give the plants exactly the spectrum they need to grow. And then we sell those greens to local restaurants in Calgary, and we sell to grocery stores like Calgary Co-op, Safeway, Sobeys, Blush Lane, Community Natural Foods, and a handful of others. And so for us, a big thing for our Deepwater Farms is fresh, it's local, it's harvested and delivered basically the same day within 24 hours. And it's been an awesome opportunity to do it in Calgary. So when you hear about a technology like aquaponics, Calgary isn't necessarily the first place you would think of. So what made you take the leap? What made you do it here? What made you do it here? Well, I live here. I was going to school here. I went to Mount Royal University and I stumbled into the entrepreneurship program there. And that kind of gave me the fundamentals of 
how to even just approach starting a business, but more so the innovation side of business. We were at the kind of the forefront of vertical farming and aquaponics, but it was more so just the question I had around and the concerns I had around food, food systems. And I asked myself the question of like, who's growing the food? How is it being grown? And how do I get involved in that? But the major challenge was year round because for vegetables and produce, there's two months of the year where we're really harvesting it, which is August and September. And so we're inundated with produce at that time, but 10 months of the year, we don't have any. And other than produce in Alberta, we, we specialize in grains and pulses and, and cattle and ranching and more larger agriculture. So this was super niche. And um, just starting with those fundamental questions, it led me down a path on the internet. I was Googling stuff, YouTube and stuff. <laughs> And the marriage of fish and plants, it it really spoke to me because it was circular. We were reusing a waste product as an input for the plants. And to me, that was the future of agriculture. It was a more sustainable, more closed loop approach. That's really where it started for me. And it had to be year round. We couldn't just do it in the summer when the weather permitted. If we really wanted to make an impact and scale something out, it had to be reliable, it had to be consistent, it had to be year-round in Calgary. So that was the challenge we took on. Let's talk a little bit about you for a second. A lot of people out there who are thinking about starting a business and what have you are asking themselves, do I have what it takes? Like, what does it take? And what did you bring to becoming an entrepreneur? I think you could probably do like an hour-long, if not longer, <laughs> podcast on just like, on, on some of that. Yeah. Uh, you got to be crazy enough to kind of just think you can do it or... I guess it's just kind of like an ignorance is bliss. You don't really know what you're getting into when you start, but starting is obviously the first step and the most important step. So just getting out there and and hitting the ground running and doing something you believe in, I guess, was what I think is probably what's gotten me here the most. I think there's always like opportunities to make a quick buck and stuff like that, but those come and go. And when you find a project that you think is important, it gives you the energy to, to see it through, I guess, because it's been five to six years to really get to a point where cash flowing and the customer base and we're scaling and things like that. So it's tenacity is a, is a big part and it's finding your customer or your user or the problem you're trying to solve and really understanding that because it doesn't really matter what you think or believe is that problem or that solution. It's who are you solving that problem for and falling in love with that problem and being passionate about solving that problem to the best of your ability, orientating whatever that solution you have around that customer or that person that you're trying to solve a problem for. Understanding them deeply is probably the most important thing and working closely with them, not trying to come up with a solution and surprising them with it. Like, hey, I solved your problem though. You got to solve it with them. And that's really where we started was like with chefs and understanding what local produce meant to them and, and how to kind of approach that. And everybody says, like, don't be afraid of failure, but it's just learning. And on the path to figuring it out, you figure out every way to not do it. And so I think (laughs) it's that mindset of just nothing ever works the first try. Nothing's ever going to be perfect. And you you just got to keep going and just keep going. And it's not failure, it's learning. And I think it's that mindset of, yep, okay, that didn't work. Now I know how not to do it. And that's how you figure it out. Now You've been able to raise a fair amount of capital to get your business going. Do you want to share any insight or stories around what that was like? You were planning to start a very unique business in Alberta. Like this doesn't happen every day where we see an aquaponics business kick up here. Right. Actually, I don't think it's ever happened. Are you the only one in Alberta? (laughs) Uh, We're the first commercial farm in Alberta. And there's definitely other people doing indoor hydroponics and and fish farming and stuff like that. But I think in Calgary proper, like we're in the city limits doing it in a warehouse. And 
we're probably the only existing farm right now that's commercially available in, in the grocery stores and stuff like that that's producing year round. That's so. cool. So what was the fundraising process like for you then? Started in university. Mount Royal has an amazing entrepreneurship program. And every single year they do, a, it's like a Dragon's Den style yeah. pitch competition where students and, and I think you can be an alumni and you submit your project, go through a vetting process and uh, you get an opportunity to pitch for a portion of $80,000. That's a big number when you're in university. And I pitched my idea there and we ended up walking away with about $30,000, I think. That was just a huge start for us. And that allowed us to build a prototype and start to build a product so that we can begin to work with our users on that. And that led me on a journey of more pitch competitions. So they're nationwide. I mean, they're global. There's pitch competitions everywhere for student-led businesses or social innovation mm -hmm. and things like that. And so I think by the end of my university, my last year, we ended up probably getting about $120,000 in cash. And then that's when I was able to just really focus full time on Deepwater Farms. I actually moved into a, a garage and I lived in a garage for like six months and I had a YMCA membership and that's where I would shower. And it was, so it was just all wow. in and I had nothing to lose at the beginning. And then from there, we were really able to kind of have a prototype, have some fundamental numbers on terms of the economics of it. And we were able to say, we have customers, we have a product. Now we just need some partners to go ahead with. And so we just started pitching angel investors and then we found our partners and they were well aligned with values and with their existing businesses already. And so it was a really good integration and they believed in us and you always need twice what you think you need. And so they've been there to help us and get us where we need to be. One of the aspects of your business, which I just love, is that you clearly have a passion for social innovation, your background. You might want to share a little bit about that and some of the things you've done, making the world a better place. Yet you found a way to build a business model that's profitable, sustainable business for the future uh, with a lot of potential. Tell us a little bit about the story around you, how you connected the dots of the two. I think a lot of people struggle as to can you make a real business out of something that's really doing good for the world? Well, I think that it really kind of came down to the concerns I had around the way food was currently being produced and just the inefficiencies in our food systems and believing that it could be done better. And in my undergraduate at Mount Royal, I focused everything on in my coursework towards this idea I had about farming of the future. And that really allowed me to basically like make best use of my time because I could have coursework going towards my degree that was also going towards building deep water farms. And so I just really geared everything around that and all my projects around that. So it was efficient for me. And yeah, I think just wanting to really see that improvement and bring healthy food closer because the path of technology, where it's going with gig economy and kind of how we're seeing e-commerce, it's going to make food more readily available, healthier, more affordable. And so it was kind of just like hop in early and just see where the thing's going, not really knowing where it was going to lead us, but just focusing on trying to make improvements, I guess. So let's talk about the products you're producing. So you're in some of the best restaurants, best high-end stores, you're in co-op, you're all over the place, which is pretty awesome, like yeah. fantastic. But the journey to get them in to be buying your product, I imagine there was a lot of product innovation and uh, development. So tell us a little bit about the journey there. In university, I, I ran a window cleaning company. And that I would say was probably one of the most like fundamental skills I learned through that was door-to-door -door sales. And so you would just bang on doors and you'd just ask people if they wanted to get their windows washed. Basically. So you truly have the entrepreneurial spirit right in your blood. Like you, it's, it's in you. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. I mean, I get a thrill out of it. So that's really where it started for me was like just understanding that every single no just meant I was getting closer to a yes yeah, when knocking yeah. on those doors. And so I took that same approach. 
it actually started just in a garden for me. Like I found a plot in my backyard and I just started growing lettuce because I didn't know if I could do the whole indoor vertical farming. And so I knew I just needed a product so I could take that product and go talk to a customer. I grew lettuce in my garden that summer and I cut it all and I would just go to the restaurants. And I started at Model Milk and I knocked on the back door and I just said, hey, is the chef in? And the chef came out that day and and I just said like, hey, do you guys like local greens and produce? And they're like, yes, we love local ingredients. And so that was the start. And I just started bringing them my lettuce and they'd be like, no, we don't use that. No, we don't use that. Or yeah, we would use that if you can grow it. And so over some time, I just, I ended up talking to about 30 of the top restaurants in Calgary, just knocking on the door, figuring out that, you know, between lunch and dinner service, they're there and they're ready to talk. And I would just bring them samples. And then I found about eight common ingredients amongst them all that they're all going to use. And I said, okay, if I can grow something like this, I know I got 30 customers, if I can grow one of these ingredients. And so we just started trying to figure out which of those ingredients we could grow and it hit. And so that's where we landed on kale. We knew we could get kale. We knew we could get our yield. It grew fast enough. And so the economics worked on kale. And we just kept finding the next product that the economics worked on and just kept bringing it to them. And then eventually we had enough restaurant customers to show the retailers in Calgary, like the community natural foods and blush lanes mm -hmm. um, was kind of like the next logical step. We didn't need to supply a whole bunch of stores. We just needed one grocery right. store. And we just slowly kept building up and building up because restaurants would by just the right amount for us to bring in a next restaurant and then the next right. restaurant as we built up our production and then everything just kind of started to fall into place from there. So you've been on a quite a tear and like it's quite a story, like true sacrifice, living in a garage, you know, going to uh, the YMCA for showers, like that's a true rags to super success kind of story, but you're still on that journey. So what's the next two, three, five years look like for your business? Yeah, we're far from where we want to go and we're excited about where we're headed. So 2020 was a strange year for everybody. And we just used this year to sort of slow down and make sure our business worked and fine tune everything, get the product quality, get everything where we want to be, get the managers in the place. Like I've never led a team like we have now. And so it was a huge learning curve just to kind of get everything perfected and try to put all the fires out that are yeah. slow. You got a lot yeah, of fires yeah. in a business that, you know, yeah. everything could be done a whole lot better. And so For we sure. used 2020 to just really refine everything and make it all better. And now we're excited to really um, start to look at deploying our technology. You know, we've built a vertical farm that can grow thousands of tons of greens a year. And so it's just crazy to think how much food we can grow here on such a small space. And now it's really just understanding like for us what those next steps are like who are the next customers and where do we want to deploy our vertical farming systems and how are we going to go about that and so for us we don't want to export food we want to export farms right on. and so we want to find customers for our farming technology to help even alberta farmers diversify themselves and it's hard to farm because your cash flow is only really like late in the year and so yeah with our farming, like it's super modular. So we could pop farms up in existing barns that are empty or, or need to be activated and provide cash flow to farmers all year round. And so Deepwater Farms is not just a technology provider and developer, but also like we distribute and we sell produce. And so working with more farmers and finding more ways to kind of stimulate the local agriculture a year round and working with other farmers to get product to market and adding value to stuff. So I think it's just like stay nimble and just keep trying to make our technology better and expand our farming network, I guess. Yeah, right on. And, yeah. you know, and I love the story because, you know, like so many of the products you're producing, 
Alberta has been reliant on importing so many of those goods for so long. And the vision you've got around deploying your technology in other parts of the country, parts of our province, to not only help farmers diversify their business, but to bring product to market uh, more widely available that normally we'd be importing is actually a pretty cool story. There's so many aspects that are cool. But if you were going to predict then what the next five or 10 years look like, the 2020s look like for Deepwater Farms, for Calgary, for Alberta, what's your prediction? I think just as a whole, like really focusing on innovation, because innovation is a competitive advantage at any level. And so I think as a province, as a city, we have a lot of problems with just talent leaving right now. I really enjoy living in Calgary. And I think it's really like bet on what's next, I think. And I mean, it's always a push for diversification, but understand, I think like what does Alberta and Calgary want? And I think you need to take a long, hard look at what that is. Looking at it from my experience, it's like, well, we really focus on our customers and understanding what they want and how to cater to that and attract them and work with them and get along with them. And and I think we could probably do the same thing at like a municipal and provincial level and really focus on what do we want? Like, do we want to bring younger people here? Do we want to attract talent? Do we want to diversify and just take a long, hard look at that and understand what that looks like and not be impulsive, but probably plan for the next 10 to 20 years. And that's hard because we're really rapidly shifting. And we've seen that with this last year with COVID and working from home and e-commerce or the rise of everything. And what we really need, and we understand that now, like what is truly essential. And it was kind of like survival mode. So I think it's kind of a wake up call. Learn from that and use that experience moving forward to like take a deep reflection and really understand like, where do we want our province to go and bet on that? and take a risk and maybe don't worry about now because it's passing, <laughs> but like, where do we really want to be in? And maybe get a step ahead and take a risk because people will like that and it might solve some problems. I think that that's great insight, Paul. It's funny listening to you speak. Some of my own personal experiences really came to the top of my mind when I was hearing your comments, because you're right. Every part of this country has had their ups and their downs and we're feeling maybe down right now. It's probably definitely exacerbated by COVID and so on. But even before COVID, we were feeling down. There will be an up again. Mm -hmm. We just have to set our sight on that, on the vision of where we're going. Sharing just quickly in the mid nineties, I lived in Montreal during the referendum. I mean, businesses were leaving town and people right. were desperate and Yet today, Quebec is doing very, very well. I lived in Ontario in the early 2000s when the big manufacturing sector became the Rust Belt and they found a way through. I've been in other parts of the country that have been on the upward swing and we will find our swing, we will find our groove, but we've got to find that vision and set our sights in the next decade to yeah, shoot for it. And, right? I, and I think it's a prime opportunity right now. I mean, it's hard to see, but when you drive down some streets, there's a lot of spots for lease and for sale and prime real estate. And so it's kind of the best time to get in. And I think you got to use it right to your on. advantage now, because like for me, building a business in Calgary, I don't know if I could have done it a lot of other places because we have such like freedom of mobility here. And for us building like a hardware, we needed a warehouse, we needed space, we needed to be able to get to Home Depot, we needed to be able to get to the industrial park to buy weird parts that you didn't even know that these people existed in your city. And so for us, it's like Calgary is really, it's really easy to get around. And right now is a really good time for people to get into Calgary because you're getting in early now. And um, like you said, it's, it's gonna bounce back, it's gonna come back. And I think there's no better time than now to get in on that because I think we're obviously resilient people and it's a good place to live. 
And that's maybe where I need to ask you for your advice. We're Connect First Credit Union. Nobody's heard of us yet. Um, They will soon. But we are literally reinventing ourselves, trying to design and imagine, quite frankly, what a credit union needs to look like for the 2020s right here in Alberta so that we can play our part and be a beacon of hope and a beacon of progress and growth for our province in the decade ahead. And my question to you as an entrepreneur, somebody who's rolled up their sleeves, who's taking a risk and making a bet on our province, what do you want to see from us? For anybody who's trying to start a business, I always said, like, if I had $10,000, I could do this. I know if I just had $10,000, I could get the prototype, I could work less hours, I could do this. And I always said that. Then I won $30,000 and I had no idea what I was going to do with the money. (laughs) And I always told myself, I had three times the amount that I thought I needed. And so that was a huge wake-up call for me because I realized, like, I didn't actually have a good plan. I didn't know all my next steps. And I think banks and credit unions are in the business of putting money where a good plan is. And I think when you're starting out, where do you find that $10,000? Where do you find that first $30,000? Like, where does that come from? And I think educating people on how to access capital or demystifying some of the areas of banking or business planning or encouraging people to kind of take that first step in their business or expanding their business. And I think education and connecting with people and leading them down that path to getting to that first point. It's easy to be nervous and not take that first step. But you're absolutely yeah, right. Like one of the things we have is, is an expertise in banking. We also have an expertise in helping business and not just providing transactional support, but actually helping with advice and guidance and support wherever we can. And uh, one of the best things I have to say about my own role is I get to meet entrepreneurs like yourself who are, you know, I'm learning from. And those learnings I can share with other entrepreneurs and inspire. And I'm hoping this story will inspire many entrepreneurs out there. But Paul, if you had any final thoughts you wanted to share with our audience today, anything you want to make sure you share? If you got an idea, pursue it and just keep learning and pushing yourself. And don't be afraid to take that first step. It's the hardest step. But once you do it, you get going. So Paul Schumlich, founder and CEO of Deepwater Farms, you have been an awesome guest, and I am very grateful that you came to share with our audience your story. It's a great story, and I can't wait to uh, see more Albertans become aware of what great things you're doing in our province. Thank you. Thank you, Paul. Next Steps. You know, Paul, you've been a great guest. It's pretty awesome to hear the story of what you're trying to accomplish. I certainly took away a few key things that really stuck with me. And one big one was your curiosity, you know, your willingness to ask questions and to not presume you had all the answers. Despite the fact you spent years developing your plan for Deepwater Farms, you kept asking and you kept iterating, you kept changing. You went all in on the notion that you could figure it out. And You have, and it's pretty amazing to see what you've done. But what's also very cool is you're not just producing produce and food. You're actually building a technology, and that technology, as you shared with us, could have potentially transformed farming and agriculture across our country and potentially even globally. And you're doing all of that right here in Calgary. And I'm personally inspired. And I have to say, as we're trying to develop a very different kind of experience for our members as a credit union and reimagining what a credit union could be, because it doesn't have to be all the things it has been in the past. It can be something very different. We're going to be spending a lot of time asking our members and our future members here in Alberta what they want, what they expect from a credit union built and designed for the 2020s. So with that, if you liked what you heard today, share it with your network and be sure to subscribe. And thank you for listening. 
We'll see you next time on What's Next, Alberta. 